Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. And Lord, we do ask that you would bless your word to us. Make, O oh Lord, our coming together meaningful. Above all, Lord, to meet with you and to hear from your word. We thank you for this church. Thank you, O oh Lord, for its many ministries, both near and far. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the way they are able to support 41 missionaries. And we thank you for the impact of this on many, many countries. We thank you, O Lord, for your people. Bless them in a very powerful way and enrich their lives, we pray. Continue to use this church to bless the world, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, I would not have chosen this topic two years ago because two years ago a church in Singapore asked me to come and speak at their church camp and they gave me the theme the heartbeat of God. And of course, being with OM and with missions all these years, I was pretty convinced the heartbeat of OM is to save souls, missions. So I was beginning to prepare some messages on missions, and I began to study something of the heartbeat of God. I thought I saw myself wrong. I realized there is more to this than, than missions. And my study took me to, to, to realize, really, God, His heartbeat is for His own glory. Because when I saw verses like the Lord's Prayer, the Lord is asking us to pray, Hallowed be Thy name. And I saw verses like 1 Corinthians 10.31, I think it says, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, whether eating or drinking. And when I saw scriptures like this, I realized... Maybe there is more than missions uh, as to the heartbeat of God. And the result is, I ended up to finding out the heartbeat of God is really His own glory. Because human beings, they have sinned. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I began to study the subject of the glory of God. And I was quite uh, blessed by this very one thought, because it doesn't depend on me so much. It really all depends on Him. That's why I chose this morning to speak to you on this subject of the glory of God. There are three ways we could look at it. One is historically, the various appearances of the glory of God. The other is looking through the scripture as to what God thinks of His glory. And you read scriptures like, the Lord saying, I will lead you in the path of righteousness, for He leads me in the path of righteousness for His own namesake. I'm the one who needs to go in the path of righteousness. I'm the one who needs it, but He does it for His own namesake. And verses that says, I will not give my glory to another, but I will do things because of my own sake. Right through the prophets and places we see that God is very, very concerned about the glory of God. This morning I thought it would be good for us to see something of the various appearances of the glory of God in the time that is before us. God is a living person. He walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then we know that we sinned. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they sinned. And, of course, a huge separation came. 
Adam and Eve was thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And, uh, and then this huge gulf begins. Then we come into the book of Exodus. God says, make for me a tent. And I will meet with you there. So God has this desire to be with people. Not that he needs us. The Bible says God doesn't need anything. Because in him, in him we live, move and have our being. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need fruits like the Hindus feed their gods. Or milk they feed their gods as well. And there's so many other things. They don't need all this. God doesn't need all these things. But he desires to be with us. So he tells Moses, make a tent. And uh, there make the Holy of Holies. And from there I will meet with you. Uh, the, the tent, the tabernacle is a wonderful study. I'm reminded of a friend of mine. I'm privileged to call. He's 101 years of age. He lives there in Sidmouth. He was a missionary to India for 30 some years. Beginning I think at the age of 30 or so. Sorry, 40. 40 years as a missionary. And uh, did a great work there. I was talking with him about the tabernacle. This is his favorite subject. In our talk, we talked about a man. And he said, this man, whenever he sees other people, he will ask a question. Are you born again? And uh, he will say, yes, probably. Are you uh, baptized? Possibly the answer is yes. Very good. Are you taking Holy Communion? The answer is possibly yes. And of course, he's very happy. This man is doing all these three things. So I told this dear man, I said, that's very good. You know, someone is interested. He said, no, my brother, no, he said. He said, God has far more for us. He wants to bring us into his glory, he said. And then he showed me a verse in Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. And there he showed this verse to me that says, The purpose of my salvation is not simply born again, not simply looking into the tent from the door, but it is really much more than this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may be gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many scriptures in the Bible that says the glory is also for us. God's glory, when it is restored, we too will be actually glorified. So God has a great purpose for us beyond the basic Christian experiences. Anyway, coming back to Exodus chapter 14, that wonderful chapter where the tent is finished, we find the glory of God is about to come down. By the way, the passage of scripture given to you this morning is the one in Exodus chapter 40. I remember sitting in Brazil for a meeting and my translator turned to me and he asked me, do you have a scripture to depart from? <laughs> and really, this is a passage of scripture this morning to depart from. And uh, so I'll read this. And in chapter 40, it says, when, verse 33 says, When he had finished the work, the last words there it says, Thus Moses finished the work. That reminds me the words of the Lord Jesus from the cross. It is finished. So when Moses finished the work, it says in verse 34, the cloud 
covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled. The cloud, you see there again, has settled. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 38 says, throughout all their journey, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. And there was the fire in it by night. In the sight of all the Israel. That was for some 40 years this was experience. So here we have the first time. The glory of God in the form of cloud and fire coming down. I won't stay there too long because of our time being very short. The next time we see the cloud and the fire coming down is in Solomon's temple. The story is given in two places. One in 1st Kings and the other in 2nd Chronicles. In 1st Kings, we have Solomon sacrificing all these animals and, uh, of course, praying as well. 2nd, 1st Kings chapter 8, then in verse 9 it says, there was nothing in the ark except two tablets and all that. And uh, then in verse 10, chapter 8, verse 10 it says, and it came about... When the priests came from the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And that the priests could not stand to minister, because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So here we have the cloud. But in Second Chronicles, we have the fire. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1 and 2. It says, when Solomon had finished praying, this is the same story, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Verse 2 says the same thing. The priest couldn't stand there, enter there, because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord in the form of the clouds, And in the form of fire. The third time we see the glory of God is in Herod's temple. Now for the Herod's temple, you have to look very carefully. Because you actually don't see the fire or the cloud itself. Except those like the apostles. They saw it. The ordinary eyes could not see them. We find... This glory in Herod's temple came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because John said, we beheld the glory of God. Full of grace and truth. So John actually saw the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, Moses asked God a question. God, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. And God, of course, showed His glory, veiled glory. But you remember, what happened was not really so much seeing as much as hearing. He heard so much about God. God's compassion. God's justice. God's righteousness. So he heard so much more which could be written out for us. And we find that in Exodus. I believe that's what, that is exactly what happened when the Lord Jesus was going in and out of Herod's temple. 
and moving around with the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who had eyes to see saw something more than a human, a rabbi, going in and out. They saw the only begotten Son of God. They beheld His glory. But if you come into John, into Luke chapter 2, we have this great man of God, Simeon, his name. And there he was, led by the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, verse 25, 26, and on down. He is led by the Holy Spirit, comes into the temple at the occasion when Jesus was being dedicated. And then we find not many people there. I don't know what happened to them. I guess they had nothing much to do with this simple looking couple with the little child coming into the temple. Not much of a crowd, but these people come. Anna and Simeon, they come. And Simeon takes Jesus in his hands and what does he say? Look at verse 32. He says, Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So in that little baby, Simeon had seen something of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is that glory of God. So now we have the glory of God in Herod's temple. But if you go into the book of Acts, there you find the glory of God more by way of, of uh, cloud and also by way of fire. What we have in chapter 1 is the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus has been glorified. Death and resurrection. And he is now going back to the Father. And you will find in chapter 1, verse 8 is the theme, I guess, of, your, of this church this year. What a wonderful verse. It says, you shall receive power, and we have received power. The Holy Spirit has come upon us, and there is a promise there. It's a promise. Verse 8 is a promise. It's not a command. It's a promise which God is fulfilling through you, through me. And I believe through his church. The promise is you will receive power. And you shall be. You shall be. My witnesses. Earlier Jesus said follow me. I will make you. Fishers of men. This is God's job. God's work. God will do it through us. We don't need to struggle. We don't need to be under the bondage of any sort. We just have to simply say Lord you promised. Fulfill it through me. And he will do it through us. So 1.8 is a promise that we can claim. And the promise is, of course, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's what God needs today. Witnesses for him. But then we find in verse 9, he had finished his earthly ministry. And in verse 9 we find after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. <coughs> so there was a cloud. And I like to think it is not a normal cloud. It's the, the Shekinah glory. The cloud that represents the glory of God. The glory of God. The Lord Jesus was received. Now you'll ask me where is the fire? Well, fire you'll find the next chapter. The cloud is going up, taking, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. To the throne of God. 
But the fire is in the next chapter. But I must stop here for one minute. And that is to, to insert a few things about the Lord Jesus Christ now. I hope you all believe that Jesus Christ is there in the throne room of the universe. He is the one who is holding this universe together. That's why our stars don't collide. That's why the sun does rise every morning. That's why we have harvests, we have summer, winter, whatever else. We have food to eat. We can look forward. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ruler of the universe. He, of course, is the creator, and he is also the sustainer. This is more meaningful when I say this in India, because India has lots of gods, millions. Japan has 8 million gods. We in India, we do much better. We have 33 million gods. <laughs> uh, but none of them do anything for the sun. None of them do anything for harvest, although they do. Some of them believe in their little plot. But it is the Bible tells us, and we know, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who upholds all things. Hebrews chapter 1. By the word of his power. Jesus is the hope of glory for us. And so Jesus Christ is ascended. There with the Father. He is ordering the whole universe. And the whole universe is moving according to plan. What we have in the Bible is God's plan. From Genesis on, all the way to Revelation, what we have is God's plan. Everything is moving according to God's plan. God is not in a hurry, not rushing around. There's no sweat on his face. Everything is moving according to his plan. The zeal of the Lord, the Bible says, will accomplish it. That's how the virgin birth happened. That's how the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. The zeal of the Lord. We've been given a privilege to be part of it. So Jesus is there on the throne. And many people have seen him. Stephen saw him, remember? He saw him on his, on his uh, day of martyrdom. There he was on his knees and he looked up. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. There in glory. Paul, of course, saw him on the road to Damascus. So Jesus is alive and well in glory. And in command. In command. Satan is not hindering him. And nothing is stopping him. He is moving according to plan. So there he went up in the glory. There is the cloud. But then we find in chapter 2 and verse 2. This is the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, this was not an earthly temple. Not the tabernacle like Moses. Not Solomon's temple, as beautiful as it was. Not even Herod's temple. But now, it's a real temple. 120 people gathered together there on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. Then what happens? We find suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. It filled that house because there were people there who belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ who were truly the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 3, there appeared to them tongues as of fire. The important word there is fire. Fire. And it came, it says they rested on each one of them. 
So, the glory of God now rests on the believers. That is the true temple of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is resting upon you. We are all, together, we make a huge building for God. I was blessed by that verse, I believe in Peter, where the Apostle Peter is talking about the church, which God is building with living stones, living stones, precious stones. And do you realize that when the Apostle Paul wrote those verses, he was well aware of bricks. Because bricks go back to the Tower of Babel, isn't it? They were making bricks. The Israelites, they in Egypt made bricks. But when he talks about the church, he doesn't talk about bricks. He talks about stones. In Second Peter chapter 2. And we as living stones, it says. Anybody see that verse? Chapter 2. Anyway, there is that verse. Living stones. You know, stones and bricks, they are different. Bricks all come in same size, same shape. They all, you know, they fit very nicely together. But as stones, they come in many colors, many shapes. And God is fitting this all together and making that into a temple. So the people of God are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of God. And this is where the the fire has settled. So this is another appearance of the glory of God on a temple here on earth. The Holy Spirit is here on earth. The last appearance of the glory of God you will find in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. And in chapter 21. And here, it would be more like what we have in the book of Genesis. God dwelling with his people. God dwelling is with his people. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Genesis. Largely because I was asked to teach it in many places. And I began to enjoy the study of this book. A very wonderful book. The purpose God gave us the book of Genesis is really to reveal God to us. Reveal God to us. It talks about creation. It talks about many things. True historical things. And many of them revelations from God. We wouldn't know Genesis 1 for example unless God has revealed it to us. It's a revelation but it's historical. That's where we begin. But do you realize in Genesis chapter 1 with only 31 verses... God is mentioned 35 times. And I think, that makes me think, that Genesis 31 is given to me so that I know God. And God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through things that happens. And book of Genesis is a fantastic revelation of God. If you really want to know God, what God is like, look at God in the book of Genesis. What does he say? What does he do? What does he feel? What upsets him? What moves him? What brings him down? What takes him away? It's all there in the book of Genesis. We have a living God whose glory can be clearly seen in that book. And so we come into the book of Revelation 
we see something very similar to Genesis 1 and 2. I call Genesis 1 and 2 God's, uh, God's blueprint for his house, which we are. That's a blueprint. Genesis 1 and 2 will not be discarded for eternity. That's what God is planning to do. So here in Revelation 21, we have God coming down in his glory. It says in verse 3, you could read verse 1 as well. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has been now replaced. And in verse 3 it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them. And he shall be, they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them. So there it is. The glory of God coming down. Now I must stop here and explain a little bit about the glory of God. What do we mean by the glory of God? We realize, we see it in the fire, we see it in the clouds. But the glory of God itself, what does it mean? In the Hebrew, it would be the weight, the weight of God. You could say the place of God, where God is. His status. I remember somebody explaining it this way. He says, the earth we walk on is the earth. The dust. The trees. Oak is a tree. Your uh, rover is a dog. Then we have, of course, birds. Then we have human beings. Now, of course, you realize there is no link. What I mean is, you know, the birds and you are not the same, right? A dog and you are not the same. There is a, a big difference, big leap. Then there is, after mankind, I guess we could say angels. Fallen angels. God's angels. And of course, angels and us, there, are, there is a difference. Right? Big difference. Then comes God. Now, do you see the difference? God is not me. God is not like me. I remember standing at a railway station two weeks ago in India. One man had a t-shirt that says, I am God. I didn't have the courage to challenge him. <laughs> uh, but there he was saying, I am God. So my friend who sent me to the train station, he said, many years ago in India, these Hindus, they all go into the jungles to look for God, meditate. So the king at that time, this is many centuries ago, the king at, at that time was losing all his men to God. You know, they all go to the, the jungles looking for God, no workers. So he invented an idea saying, I am God. You know, you're all gods, so you don't need to go there. You know, stay here and work. That was the idea. And of course, Hinduism has accepted that very well. You get that in New Age today and other teachings as well. Friends, there's only one God and you are not it. God is God. He cannot even be compared with the angels, let alone me. And so this God now comes down we find in verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. God is now living among us. But it is not without its brightness. This is a wonderful verse in verse 23. I often point this out to Indians. Even last two weeks ago, I saw an Indian praying to the sun 
while I was driving by, there he was at the river, pouring out water to the sun, some kind of uh, libation, I guess, worshipping the sun. There in verse 23, it says, the city has no need for the sun, or of the moon, moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the lamp. Its lamp is the lamp. And we find the same thing again in other verses in chapter 22 as well. So there we have something of the glory of God. We will be illumined by the bright light. Verse 11 of 21 says something similar. The glory of God. This is the new Jerusalem. Having the glory of God. Glory of God would mean the character of God. Also mean the character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, and other wonderful characters of God. And of course, minus all those works of the flesh, all those other things that we battle with, including sickness and health, death and all the rest. So glory of God. So we are going to see the glory of God. The glory of God is going to shine with us and we are going to be dwelling with God. So God's purpose in the universe is beyond saving souls. It certainly includes. He desires none to perish, all to come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody going to hell. That's why he sent his son to die for us. But God's purpose is to see His glory restored. That is, every knee bowing and acknowledging God is God, man is man. Angels are angels. Creation is creation. But we have failed the human race. I'm not talking about Christians here inside who believe the Bible. But human race as a whole has failed to acknowledge, to see God in His in his place. Romans tells us, though they knew him, did not acknowledge him as God. They did not see fit to honor him as God. That's where the human race is today, but that's where God is working to bring us back so that we can see God as he is. They're not giving God a place he doesn't have. They're simply recognizing who God is. That is his glory. I don't know if anything I said made sense to you, but I believe when God's glory is restored, all creation, the Bible teaches actually, all creation would be restored and would be in glory. One of the books my wife found for me when studying Genesis is a book based on the Chinese language. I think it's called Rediscovering Genesis. The Chinese of the old script they used to have which is now modified for computer purposes and simplifications. But the old thing they had was more like drawing pictures. And do you know the pictures, a lot of those words are taken from Genesis 1 to 12. And it's incredible that study of how those, we can actually prove Genesis 1 to 12, 1 to 11 is true from that little book, from the language, which is going back many thousands of years ago. But the point I want to bring to you is this. 
The word for man is a picture of light coming out from him. Light. There is life and light. And it is possible that Adam and Eve didn't look as boring as I do. You know, there probably was some, some glory. Maybe he was clothed in righteousness, in glory, some light. Maybe a bit like Jesus on Mount Transfiguration, when his clothes, you remember, shined. Maybe that's nearly what Adam was, Adam looked like, we don't know. But according to this book, it says the original man had such glory coming out of him. And my point is this, when God's glory is restored, we too will be in glory. Like my friend reminded me, God has not saved us, not just to look into the tabernacle from the door, to be just saved. Of course, it's not just saved. It's a, it's a wonderful miracle. It's a great thing. We have to be saved. But it's beyond. God wants to share His glory with us. So in your mission, I hope you'll put a huge purpose. The restoration of the glory of God. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. I'm sure I haven't really made things as clear to you as I should have. But I do ask you to go think about this. Your Bible will find at least 200 in the concordance. You'll find at least 200 times the word glory coming. And so there's a lot to study about this subject. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are moving towards a purpose. We thank you that you would not give your glory to another. No one else deserves this place. No one else is creator. No one else is sustainer. No one else is the God of the universe. That's a glory that belongs to you. We thank you, Lord, for those of us here today. We've been able to acknowledge this through our Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We thank you that our knees actually bow to you. And our tongue has already confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we pray that you will help our eyes to be opened. So we can see more and more of the glory of God as revealed in the scriptures to us. Lord, help us to rejoice in your glory. As the Apostle Paul hoped in your glory, we too, Lord, hope in your glory. Bless this thought to us, we pray, and help us to continually think about this and be enriched by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.